Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here uh, with a frequent, now you are our frequent guest, Brad. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, we've... We've primarily done book breakdowns. Have we done anything other than book breakdowns? I think that's our main. That's our main gig? Yeah. All right. Because you and I both love books. We both love books. Right. Uh, you've you've read more than I have because uh, you're. I don't know. You're, you're a pretty voracious reader. I. You know. You you keep saying that, and sometimes I don't feel like I'm a voracious reader anymore. When we when I was a student, I for sure was because number one, you had to. I was a student. Right. Um. But I was telling somebody again the other day that uh, I blame you for how it turned out. Oh, you gosh. would let me read other books yeah. other than other than what I had to read. Yeah, good. Uh, but I would do extra work too. All right. Unlike some people who are also in your class who shall remain nameless, who may or may not have been former co-hosts of this podcast, and it <laughs> may rhyme with Schleiger, but whatever. We won't mention we won't mention his name. All right. Uh, today we are doing a book breakdown and. It is one called Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. And I would say that I think in our culture, this one is more necessary uh, than ever. What would what would you say? I'm just thinking about generationally and the way people handle things or don't handle things or, or whatever. Yeah, but that, it could I, be. Wouldn't, I wouldn't differ with that by any means. I, I think what where I went mentally when you said that is just the the amount of disruption that that is occurring in life in general, and it seems like it's everywhere. You know, in the political arena, within the church, within families. The pace of change and the amount of disruption that goes on just, uh, you know, it forces change on people, I think, at a breakneck pace. Now, again, maybe people throughout time have felt the pressure of change, but it sure seems like today it's unavoidable and an onslaught. It sure does. And so when somebody hears the title uh, Necessary Endings and doesn't, like, actually pick up the book, or I've even heard people— um, talk about it from a, oh, it's, it's all about, you know, how to make great transitions. Well, really uh, break it down for us. When we look at that first question, what is the book and why does it matter? You know, from an idea perspective, like, but yeah. like, what is it book really about? Yeah. Well, well, first let me comment on your, your reference to the, the name of the book. You know, is it an attractive name? Is it, is it misunderstood perhaps? Um, of course, I think it's worked. I think I think it's garnered attention. Necessary oh, endings sure. is going to make you stop and look at it. Um, it. It does imply a negative aspect of of change. And in in reality, when you read the book, it's actually a positive book. I think, right. and from a leadership lens, it's it's it's. Uh, I think he's trying to help people understand that change, including. Endings, and we'll get into that more. It does doesn't have to be a negative thing, a bad right. thing. It's a necessary thing. It's a it's the way you look at it and the way you manage it. And and so I I, I actually think it's very it's a, ultimately a positive book. So I I think that it is uh, it is a positive book. It is something that you know. I think this book is for everybody. When you're talking about uh, a leader pers- leadership perspective or a non-leader, um, I think it's going to be a book that is it is for everybody because it is so much more about um, change rather than transition. Um, because I, again, when I've heard people talk about it, 
Um, typically, it's been in the context of, oh, it's, it's transition or this book really helped me when I was in a transition. But I think for any change, uh, and it's not just about it's not just about what we would typically think about as a, a, a transition, a, a closure, a finding closure kind of thing or whatever. I, I think it's, it's, it's much bigger than that. Yeah, I, I agree. So what, what part of the book you want to talk about first? Here? Okay, well, um, let's do kind of quick hitters. Who's the author? Um, okay. And, and, you know, I kind of already um, alluded to who it was written for, but um, let's let's hit that up first. So yeah, yeah. Talk about Hen- the author Henry Cloud. You know, if you go and do Wikipedia or any other source on him, you know they give you the kind of the synopsis. Uh, he's viewed by many as an American Christian self self help author, and of course, self help has uh, positive and negative connotations depending on how you look at it. But he also co authored the book Boundaries, uh, which I think impacted a lot of people's lives. And so he he is. He's had a couple of big hits, maybe several. Um, and what the way I would describe him is, in, in a way, I'd use the word integrationist. And what I mean by that is he kind of takes uh, a biblical theological framework that he writes from that point of view, plus a lot of experience from the sort of counseling world. And I think he, he, he pulls from those uh, different disciplines and then offers advice, and and his advice is very widely applicable. You know, in fact, I think in one of your questions, I may be getting ahead of you here about who the book's written for, but right. really, it's it's there's a sense in which you could say, just like the boundaries book, it's really written for anybody, anybody who wants to thrive relationally, anybody who wants to thrive as a leader. Um, so you can put on different hats if if you're a leader hat, um, whether right. you're the top dog or whether you're a lieutenant. Or in the home, it's it's such a widely applicable book. Totally, because it is, you know, I may be, uh, <laughs> we've alluded to this before. We actually alluded to it about five minutes ago before we started. Uh, you may be the top dog um, in the office, but you're not top dog when you get home. <laughs> well, so, so there may be, the, be, I do think it is so, the stuff that he writes is so applicable in, and multifaceted yes. in, in part because he's not just, you know, some YouTuber or a pop psychologist. Right. No, he's an actual psychologist yeah. uh, who does the hard work of distilling all of that and then um, and then really taking it from the, the top shelf and, yeah. and moving down to the bottom where everybody, you know, it. It's easy to get to. Yeah, absolutely. It's within reach, and it's even within reach to apply. Yeah. And speaking of him being a psychologist, he's the co-founder of the Minerth Myra Clinic, which a lot of people have benefited from over the decades. So good. All right. So we we did already answer the question, who's the who's the book written for? So let's get to... Uh, Let's get to some of your your favorite quotes from. The well, book. yeah, boy, and of course, I'm this way with most books. At least most books that are worth talking about on a podcast. Right. It's like, uh, like which kid do you want to pick out? What's your favorite kid? There's so many uh, helpful remarks, but I kind of condensed. Uh, I pulled out my some of my favorite portions of the book, and um, you know, it starts out early in the book, and th- these are somewhat chronological in terms of the book itself. But one of the the brief statements early on is getting to the next level. Of course, at that point, he's probably oh, talking man, about one I want to the you know business context, perhaps. But getting to the next level requires ending something, leaving right. it behind, and moving on. And so, 
I alluded to this earlier about necessary endings, as the title implies, is it's necessary in order to get right. somewhere else. So I will, uh, I will not see you and raise you, but kind of see you and raise you. Yeah, I'm no. going to complete that, the next sentence, okay. the next couple sentences. So you said getting to the next level always requires ending something, leaving it behind and moving on. Then he goes on to say growth itself demands that we move on. Without the ability to end things, people stay stuck, never becoming who they are meant to be. And for the Christian, this is really, really, really important. Uh, both from a spiritual growth standpoint and that you're Ephesians 2.10, God's workmanship, and he's mm -hmm. got things he wants you to do. Sorry, uh, he didn't say all that. Um, uh, he goes on to say, never accomplishing all that their talents and abilities should afford them. So, right. uh, man, that is a powerful, powerful quote. Absolutely. And then he goes into a little bit of a why, why do, you know, if necessary endings— are positive if, if approached properly, right? Um, you know, why do we tend to avoid it so much? And so he, he lists seven, this is not a quote per se, but it's a brief list of seven reasons we tend to avoid ending things that need to be ended. And he says, we do not know if it's actually necessary. We are afraid of the unknown. We fear confrontation. We are afraid of hurting someone. We don't want to experience the sadness that may be involved. We don't know how to execute the ending. And we have too many painful endings in our personal history. So, and then he elaborates on all of those. Very helpful, very insightful. A lot of this, of course, is the negativity of the of fear and pain and the unknown. All right. So, uh, which out of those? I mean, we we rifled through those really quickly. But which of those do you think you have maybe struggled the most with? If you look back on your time in in the church. I'll, yeah, go, I, I'll I, go too. I'm not just okay. Add. I think I think probably fear of the unknown. Um, I'm I don't run from conflict at all, so that's not <laughs> not it. And I probably should be more sensitive <laughs> about hurting people. I mean, I don't want to hurt people, but no. that's not my main thing either. So I think it's the unknown because you 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 know when you lead and you make tough decisions, there are a lot of times you don't know what the ultimate ramifications of your decision is going to be. And so for me, I guess that would be the biggest barrier to calling the question, if you will, on some things is, hey, I don't have a crystal ball where I can look out a year from now or two years from now. If I confront that influential church member who's toxic or unbiblical, what what if, you know, he has an influence in the church and the giving goes down and he takes people out of the church right. with him or her? So fear of the unknown. Right. I think for me, it's the it's the first one. I definitely feel that one too. But for me, I think it's the first one, which is we don't know if it's actually necessary. So I would have a tendency to think um, I can take whatever this problem is and like change it into an opportunity. Like, can I turn it? It's almost a, um, It's a, frankly, it's sometimes hubris. But it's to say, oh, I can, if I just do this right, if I can align this in this way, then I can actually, you know, use this and change this without having to, you know, end it. Uh, it's it's almost like I can switch it. Yeah, I, I get your point. And of course, the potential downside of that is you just extend the the damage totally. And and so you, it's a self inflicted wound actually if you prolong the difficult decision because you think you can spin it and yeah. save it and rescue it. Right. 
Right, right. So uh, now, again, neither one of us struggle with these things anymore. These were just in our past. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, what, what else? Uh, what other quotes you got there? Well, he talks about pruning a lot, uh, which, you know, obviously that's a metaphor that fits the, the theme of the book. But he, he, he made a statement here. He said, people who get results, prune initiatives that are siphoning resources that could go to something better, they stop any endeavor that is not uh, going to do well, and they prune what is already dead. Now, that's a, a good summary of his work on pruning. Right. And we can all relate to the metaphor of pruning if you have any agricultural savvy at all. And I think that's, that's a helpful list of statements to think through. What, what are we allowing to exist that's siphoning energy, people, talent, and resources towards something that ultimately is not going to make a contribution? Hmm. So I like the pruning uh, work that he does in the book. Any comments on that, Todd? Uh, none that I can say on that. I'm trying to figure out how to say this tactfully. Okay. But there is, cause we both have an agricultural background. You yeah. much more than me. Um, but there are things that you do to trees that help them produce more fruit. Right. That's pruning. Right. There are things that you do to animals and they never produce again. <laughs> okay. How do you know when you're doing which one? Or how do you make sure you're not doing one versus the other? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like so, in, this, in this one, pruning leads to further production. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other, the other thing leads to no, no production, no reproduction whatsoever. Well, obviously, time and experience and maturity gives you a sense of what to prune and what not to prune. But, but in reality, I think you look at what's not growing. Right. Um. So it, I don't know that it has to be that uh, vague or subjective. Right. Uh, you know, what is it? What are your measurements of success in your setting? You know, whether you're talking about a business or a church or even a relationship. If you've thought through your measures of success, then you can then you can objectively go back and say, now what is not contributing right. to these measures of success? So I don't I don't know that it has to be that mysterious. Right. Well. You asked me what I was thinking. That was actually what I was thinking. So okay, I won't do that again. <laughs> probably shouldn't do that. Um, I, I have one more, and then uh, maybe we'll get one more for you and, and, and move on. But uh, the fool tries to adjust the truth so he does not have to adjust to it. Yeah. Uh, I think that, man, yeah. there, there are so many situations yeah. where uh, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, that's what that's what we do. And, and that does not lead to growth. Just And I would draw this out from a spiritual standpoint. Um, uh, you know, if we're going to grow, we have to, it's a contriteness. It is not rationalizing, you know, sin. Just in the same way we would say you cannot have spiritual growth and maturity if you're rationalizing away, you know, that issue or that sin. Um, it, it's the same is true both, you know, in spiritually and in your professional life as well. If you are not addressing something, if you are, um, just saying, Hey, I'm going to adjust the truth or spin, if you will, um, on this so that I don't have to yeah. adjust to it. Well, what came to my mind, Todd, when you were saying that was <clears throat> even in my role here, um, where I work has been, um, 
I've stressed the importance of leading the narrative. And, and what I mean by that is somebody's going to tell the story. Oh, right. Whatever you're, whatever you're talking about, your church or your company or whatever, right. somebody's going to tell the story. And if you allow a vacuum to exist, that story is usually distorted or wrong. Uh, it's a false narrative often. And, and so to me, what, what came to my mind was the importance of, of uh, not allowing a vacuum to be filled with, with the wrong story right. or a partially correct story. Leadership has to lead the narrative. Yeah, that's uh, uh, so true because people will do their own math. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, then let's get back into— uh, I, Before before you move okay, on, okay, I, okay. You, you said I, I got to do one more here. So I I'm, did. I'm gonna, so don't take that away from me here now, Todd. Oh, yeah, I do want to mention a couple other under the—kind of the quotes thing was to be careful not to become acclimated to misery. Don't, don't get used to that pain um, because I think a lot of times uh, when things need to be pruned or, or ended or changed— what prevents people from doing it is they've just gotten kind of used to the pain. And I, I thought that was helpful. And similarly, he talks about hope distortion. And he says here, hope is always about holding on when it looks bad and being able to hold on sometimes for a long time. Hope is designed to give us more time so that whatever we are hoping for can come to pass. But because this is what hope does for us, buys more time and spends it, sometimes it creates problems if we are not in touch with reality. So mm. I think those two parts of the book that talks about uh, those two factors can be helpful. All right, now you can move on. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, what are what are some similar what are some similar books? You know, I thought about that. In some ways, this book is unique as I perused my own awareness of leadership books and business books, which is by no means exhaustive. Uh, I really, I almost, fairly, I struggled to come up with a really- exhaustive, Brad. Yeah. I, I struggled to come up with a, a real strong similar book. Actually, the book Boundaries that he co-authored is very similar in some respects. Maybe this book is an extension of that work. Um, but then I wrote down some of my standard leadership books, Leading Change by Cotter and, and, and a few others. It's like I, I most good leadership books that talk about change and most good leaderships, leadership churches, they will talk about change. Right. There'll be something in there, maybe not as explicit and clear as, as uh, what Cloud has done here, but there'll be a number of books that will touch on this topic of needing to make the hard decisions and knowing what to stop doing. But I think he really goes beyond most people in helping us know how to do that. I had to look up one book. I, I remembered the cover, uh, but I couldn't remember what it was, which is How People Grow. Oh, yeah. I love that book. It was a great book. And, and that book escaped cover. me for years. I don't know why, but um, I love it. And I mean, you know, he he does have a lot. Well, you said how people grow. I'm yeah. sorry. I was thinking how people change. Okay. So we're we're not on the same page, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Both books that he wrote. He also wrote uh Changes That Heal, which okay. is which is great too. I'm I'm looking at his stuff right now. But how people grow was uh, a big one for me. And then I thought, anytime you're leading Anytime you're leading change, there is going to be this emotional element sure. to it. Absolutely. And, and a lot of us have, you know, in leading that transition, and we've talked about everything from, you know, Napoleon's rule of thirds and 
there's always going to be a third of the people that don't want to go. I mean, right. this is addressed again and again from a change perspective. But I would say this is a unique, a very unique view of what that is. So it's definitely, uh, it's very good. And then we'll get to that uh, question about, um, is this a summary, skim, sit down, or listen, and why? Yeah, I put sit down, and, and I'll tell you why. Because... I think this is the kind of book that you really requires reflection. I think our our fear of pain and our fear of the unknown and our fear of hurting other people, <clears throat> excuse me, or making a mistake, I think that is so psychologically ingrained in us that we can live in the fog for a long time. And I think it it takes a little time to do the self-reflection that this book will provoke to really figure this out, the application of it. The book itself is easy to read, but reflecting on its application to your life, I think it's a sit-down book. You know, that's, uh, I, I do think that it's important to uh, do it as, uh, just like you were talking about, the reason why you say sit down, it, it goes beyond just a normal sit down. It is almost a uh, I'm not saying it's like practicing silence. I mean, practicing silence is like the hardest thing ever. I've, ne- I've never done that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's not something. I, you know, I have this philosophy that any unspoken thought is a waste of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Which has gotten me into trouble, by the way. <laughs> but, um, but there's something to that of, of saying, hey, this is a sit-down book, and it's even, again, different than a normal sit-down because it is something that you're going to have to process through in order to get what you uh, need to get out of it. So I would really encourage you, if you haven't read this, um, pick it up and read it. If you read it and you didn't think it was that great or you didn't make it through it, maybe it's because you went, you were going through it too, too quickly. So I really... Uh, would align very, very well with you. And that is why. All right. um, Let's move on to our next question. How is this applicable to leadership in the church? Well, it's very applicable. I, you know, I I wrote down in in response to this question, excuse me, uh, staff relationships. Mm. So I've probably talked to you about this before, Todd. I don't know if I've done it on one of your podcasts or not, but Misplaced compassion is something that I've seen happen uh, on church staff before. And what that is, is you'll sometimes you'll have a senior pastor who's nice and loving and doesn't want to hurt people. And he'll tolerate a weak or misaligned or ineffective staff person for too long. Right. I've I've seen this in theory. I've watched it happen. And this book can help give some real wisdom, I think, to a leader who may have some people around him who, and it's the wrong person or persons. Right. And I think this book can be very helpful there. So that came to my mind right away. It has broader application of the churches at large, because let's, let's face it, there in, in many of our churches, there's some necessary endings with church members. Yes. And, you know, we... I think we call that church discipline, but of course that's not the goal is is the ending, but but the 
the potential need for that with some people, this book could be really relevant, I think, to, in fact, one of my, I may be getting ahead of myself here on, but one of my favorite chapters is chapter 11, where he talks about how to have that conversation, the conversation that leads to an agreement about this is coming to an end. And I think that could could go, uh, could work well alongside a book on church discipline and, and whatnot. Well, and too, I like how you point that out because there's a difference between um, leading that necessary ending and then as opposed to responding to a mess that yeah, is yeah. now. Yeah, that maybe should have been dealt with early, earlier. Totally. Right. There's a proactivity. Right, absolutely. Um, that goes along with that. So I would, I would say uh, that is a big piece of this. The other piece is that, you know, when you go back to – um, afraid of the unknown, afraid of hurting someone, right? Uh, afraid of the sadness that might be involved. There was a lot of fear and pain of why we avoid endings, and I think all of those, uh, all those seven, several of those, you might say, um, are even, I don't know, more prevalent in a church setting. Yeah, I think so, because in part, you know, pastors feel like, oh, well, they're they're paying me to do that. I mean, it's it's just set up yeah. so differently than a business yeah. setting, and, as and an example. Todd, what came to my mind as you articulated that is that I've often told my son and others, my son's a, a lead pastor, um, and he's just starting year three, uh, which is always an interesting year for a, a <laughs> pastor for a first time, you know, as being right. a lead pastor. But um, I've said to him, uh, Brant, you wear three hats. You're a shepherd, you're a leader, and you're a preacher, teacher, right? Right. I think some pastors have a hard time slipping over into the leader role. Right. They stay over in the pastoral shepherd role, but l- the leadership hat requires some necessary endings. Right. So I always, uh, that's interesting because on the podcast before, um, I've talked about, you know, there's the biblical examples that we're given are like shepherd and steward. Mm-hmm. And so is the is the steward piece aligning with your leadership piece? I think so. Now again, it depends how you define the terms. I mean, yeah, you could yeah. you could define shepherding and and uh, and pastoral care. Necessary endings can can fit there as right. well. But in my mind, it seems to fit nicely under the leadership hat. I would agree there. I, I think the steward has more teeth. Okay, that element of yeah, it. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. Um, so, what are what are some things that you think um, maybe churches should ignore from this book? If I don't. Any? Yeah, I don't know if it's ignore, um, but uh, what came to my mind in light of that question would be: remember, a church is not a business. Okay. Yeah. So there are authority differences. Now. There is authority and power in churches. That's that whole conversation of ecclesiology and right. church polity, which is often very fuzzy in churches. So, uh, a church there. So there is authority, but it's often it's more obvious in a business setting who the boss is and who gets to make what decisions. Right. But it can. It's trickier in a church because you're dealing with volunteers, right. right? And you're dealing with the people of God, fellow believers. So I, I'm not saying that, that that means certain portions of this book you ignore. I just say be careful about the context in which right. you're applying these insights. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not a business, and it's not even a family business. A family right. business would have nuances as well. Right. But a church is it's a whole other it's a whole other animal. Correct. Uh, it, it kind of alludes to, you know, in the previous question when I was talking about, um, you know, the role of the pastor, uh, I see here y- you're talking about, because um, you were gracious enough to send me your notes prior to, uh, in the context of relationships, you know, they're they're voluntary. Uh, and so the line of authority them, there yeah. um, is not always clear or um, you have formal and informal nuances right. there. Yeah. So can you break that down a little bit more? Yeah. In fact, um, you know, there's, there's a difference between persons of uh, influence and persons of authority. I, I actually have a several page document on this. And so um, I think it's harder in a church to get clarity about that. Who do, are the do people? Do you have a quadrant on this? I don't know if I have a quadrant, but yeah, you love quadrants. I do. Um, let's make one. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> but um, but in a, in a in a business, it's it's easier to define positional authority versus relational authority or 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 power and influence by virtue of character and wisdom. Right. In a church, it's it's more difficult to do that because there are fewer relationships that are defined by position. There are they're there, right? And they vary from church to church, but. A lot more of the relationships are more influence-related than they are authority-related. And so I think that's a nuance you got to figure out in terms of how would you apply this book in those various relationships. I don't maybe I don't know if that helped or just muddied the water further. No, that helps because even in a church setting, you know, you often are going to have people that um, they may maintain influence throughout you know, throughout the time, but they float in and out of positions of authority. Right. As you know, depending on what your polity is actually. Right. Polity is a big deal. So let's talk about polity then. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you would yeah, like to. Sure. Um, I, I'll go back to, so I did training, three different kinds of seminary training over in the past. Uh, one of my degrees was at, from Trinity Seminary in, at uh, TEDS, as it's as usually called, right. in Chicago in the mid-'80s. And I remember taking a leadership course. And there was this old crusty professor. I'm sure he's with Jesus now. He's got to be, you know. Um, but I remember he, he looked out at us and he, you know, and he said, you better figure out who the church boss is. And he, sometimes he used that in a plural way, but often it's, who's the church boss? And he right. said, and he said, uh, usually it'll be the matriarch. And 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 I remember feeling a sense of uh, frustration about, well, no, Jesus is the boss of the church, nobody right. else. But the, he was trying to pass on the wisdom that there can be influence that's felt in the church. And if you're not savvy, you don't even, you can't figure out where it's coming from. Right. And, uh, and, and so... Anyway, it's a little bit different than talking about polity, but there's the official polity that's in your bylaws, right. perhaps, and then there's the real polity. <laughs> you know, no, who has influence and who has power? And if there's misalignment, uh, either with the positional power and influence versus the the organic, or there's misalignment with you as the pastor and right. others in the church, it gets really messy. Or misapplication. Yeah. And this book relates to that right. in, in the sense that there's some, some situations where that power has to come to a close. Mm. All right. Tricky. It's very tricky. Um, 
Uh, I mean, and and again, in the church, you've got giving involved. You've got oh, I know. legacy involved. Yeah. I've got gold plates with people's names on them. Three and four generations deep. Oh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's why it's, it takes a lot of wisdom. All right. Uh, let's get to our uh, our last question here, and that is, what can you do this week in light of this book? So what what can a church leader, even if they haven't, first of all, I'd say pick up the book. Right. Uh, and you can have it in at, to your door pretty quickly. Um, but what can they apply this week from what we've been talking about today? Well, you, you, you said the first thing I was going to say is get the book because we've just <laughs> touched on a few things. That chapter 11 that I referenced to is worth the whole book. And it, it's real specific guidance about how to have the conversation, um, that ending conversation and how to do it right and do it right. well. Worth the whole book right there. And, and we haven't even touched on it. But uh, so get the book and read it. Uh, then I think... You mentioned the word silence earlier. You know, sit down, get some time alone, and do some honest reflection. Uh, where are things not working in your life or in your church or in your business? What's not working? And and you, you at some point, you may need an outside opinion to help you see through it clearly. But you got to sit still long enough and be reflective and prayerful long enough to, to get honest with yourself, if you will. And, and then... What comes out of that should be a course of action. And and I'll say this course of action is not guaranteed. Hmm. So it, you know, it could mean rough days ahead, but there's got to be some course of action that you plot for going forward prayerfully. Okay. So um, I would say, uh, I would definitely echo everything that, that you said. I think those are all really helpful. Uh, the only thing that I would add in addition to that, it may be um, just taking some time again, probably in silence away from, you know, your your phone and anything that might distract you for a little bit. Right. And prayerfully yeah. walk through what changes need to happen in my church. Like, and, and that could be, um, you know, things that are just flat broken that could be things that are muddy that need clarification or or whatever that is but what needs to change right and then take stock quickly of the people that are connected to that change right because they're going to be people that are connected oh yeah to every There's, single you know, change that that you make that's right there's some would say there are always winners and losers you know when decisions are made so, so, and Brad, that's brilliant. Actually, you know, taking stock of um, this is the change I need to make and let me write down who the winners are, who's going to feel like a winner, who's going to feel like they've lost something. Right, exactly. Uh, rather than calling them losers, we'll just say people. No, I didn't call them like, losers. Feel like, I know you didn't call <laughs> losers. I'm just saying. See, this is an example of I'm just leading coaching. the narrative. I'm not letting you get away from that. <laughs> I'm just saying, if somebody comes across this list, you may not want to have winners and losers and people's names underneath. <laughs> Got it. Uh, but no, th there's going to be those the, both sides to that. So um, uh, keeping that list and then uh, it is that, uh, he, he talks about empathy and truth. Yep. Uh, the, the importance of both. Right. And the importance of both. So, you know, what is the, 
what are what are those two elements as well? Yeah, uh, it, it can't it can't be ruthless. It can't be mean spirited. It can't be indifference. Um, yeah, there's got to be empathy. Yeah. Okay. Well, Brad, thanks so much for uh, sharing your time with us today and uh, sharing your. I, I think one of the beautiful things about when you're on doing a book breakdown with me is one, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, two, you've got so much experience uh, inside the church, working inside the church and working on the church. Hmm. So you've you've done both. And I'm then, old is what you're saying. Yeah, I don't, that's not what I said. <laughs> See, you got to stay in control of the narrative. Todd. I know. I know. Yeah. All right. Well, you just con- <laughs> you just took that somewhere I wasn't taking it. <laughs> Um, but I think the the unique perspective um, that that you're going to bring is is just uh, it's so valuable. So thank you for spending time with us. Thanks for walking through this uh, with our listeners and and with me. So uh, for those of you who haven't read this book, I'd say pick it up. Absolutely. If it's collecting dust on your shelf after you've evaluated uh, the things that we talked about, um, would be good for you to do this week. Then pick that book back up probably turn to chapter 11 uh, and process a little bit more. And maybe you want to process that with somebody on your team as well. So uh, thanks once again for listening. Um, Please hop on to Amazon, not Amazon, hop on to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. (laughs) You could, uh, never mind. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 